Turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 2, continuing our verse-by-verse series. This morning we're looking at chapter 2, verses 17 through 29 of the book of Romans. Hear now God's Word. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if, you, so if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he's a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God subject of this passage is the idolatry of religion. I don't think any of us want to be known for idolatry. Uh, But I don't think sometimes we realize its presence with us in various ways. I was uh, discussing with a teenager uh, the possibilities of different colleges and trying to just kind of float out there the, the whole examine your faith, examine your gifts, examine your life. And perhaps maybe there's some place out there beyond Clemson University. And in walked the mom about that time. And as the mom walked in, she said, you can just stop the discussion. And I said, okay. And she said, his granddaddy was a tiger. And his daddy was a tiger. And his mama was a tiger. And he is going to be a tiger. And I said with a smile, Clemson it is, and what a fine university. (laughs) The discussion was fruitless. We could not go further unless we were willing to admit idolatry was in the room. Not only are there certain idolatries we know we possess, we love things and worship things we shouldn't, there's an idolatry of religion. It's an idolatry in the church that Romans is discussing that we need to consider. And God wants us to evaluate it here. Idols in the church. Notice how he begins, verse 17. If you bear the name Jew. Now, just stop right there and, and, and imagine 
He's writing to an original audience that obviously has Jews in the room. It might be easier for us if we inserted the name Christian. If you bear the name Christian, you say, oh, then we say, well, yeah, we do. We're not ashamed to be called a Christian. This man that he's writing to would not in any way be ashamed to be called a Jew if you bear the name Jew. So it's like asking uh, the question, is Dabo Sweeney a tiger? And we all, well, we already know the answer to that. Why are you asking that question? Well, sure he is. Are you, do you bear the name Jew? Well, sure I do. Do you bear the name Christian? Well, sure I do. See, there's a possibility that you bear the name and you haven't realized how much you worship it. And how much it really is an idol to you. He immediately goes on and says, if you bear the name Jew, and don't miss this word, and rely. You might want to circle rely, because here's the problem. And you rely upon the law. Uh, Notice he mentions actually six things here. Uh, He mentions the law of God, but he he begins with with the Jew, that that you are, what? You're, You're of the chosen race. Verse 17, you have the law of God, secondly. You have a relationship with God, thirdly, as his chosen people. You know God's will, verse 18. You're instructed in the law of God. And you, number six, fifth, and you also instruct and guide others in the law. And the answer to all of that is, yes, 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 yes. I do all of that. I'm a Jew. Everybody knows that. As Jews, we are special. We are God's chosen people. We are the ones who have been given the law of God first. And we know the law and we memorize the law. And we instruct our children in the law. And we instruct other people in the law. He says, that's my point. My point is not that you possess these things. Because possessing these things, there's nothing wrong with the possession of them. The problem, the point is that you rely upon them. That's why I ask you to circle the word rely. There's nothing wrong with possessing these things. This is all good things. There's nothing wrong with being a Christian and having the Bible. You know, it'd be um, like God saying, if you have the name Christian, you say, well, we do. Do you have any Bible apps? Well, yeah. And do you ever use those apps? Do you ever look up the Word of God? Yes. Do you ever share the Word of God in your family? Do you ever read the Scriptures? Do you ever go to church? Do you ever engage in worship? And you're answering yes, yes, yes. And do you feel special because of all you do? Do you sometimes rely on it as though that's what sets you apart from other people? It's not just that you possess good things, but you begin to rely on them, and it, you don't even see how we slip into, well, I believe I'm saved by Christ, and that we start talking about our lives as though it's Christ plus, you know, I've got this Bible app. It's Christ plus, you know, I read my Bible every day. It's Christ plus, you know, I go to church on Sundays. It's Christ plus, I, I give, and, and we begin to present a picture that, we often rely upon ourselves and the things we've added, which are all good possessions to have, but do we rely on them to such a degree that it translates as though that's what's making us special? 
as he, as he goes on through this, this argument. Uh, verse 20, you're a corrector of the foolish. Verse 21, you, you therefore who teach another, do you teach yourself? So are you really getting the message that you're teaching? You who preach that one should not steal. And then he, it's interesting, he brings up three things here. And he's bringing up three things to just really drive on home how they are hypocritical in their lifestyle. I mean, let's, he said, let's evaluate. Are you, are you really a different person? Are you really that changed because of what you do? So, so he brings up three things. He brings up stealing, he brings up adultery, and he brings up idolatry. He says, you would teach people, right? You know the law. You would teach them not to steal. Do you steal? And he's going to get to, you know, down in verse 24, he says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Remember the, who we're talking to. We're talking to Jews here. The Gentiles are being used here as the non-Christian. So, are there any non-Christians out there who blaspheme the name of God because of you Christians? Do you steal? See, they know. Do you have an employer and you're stealing time off the clock? You're supposed to work 40 hours or more? Are you working those hours or do you steal? Do you, in the second one, do you commit adultery? You say, oh, I don't commit adultery. Sometimes do you steal by looking at pornography? So you're not only stealing time, but you're stealing emotionally in affairs and lusting. And so much of the adultery that's going on today is an internal lust of the heart. God says you even look upon one unfaithfully. You've committed adultery already in your heart. And when your friend or your neighbor or your boss, they catch you, what do they think of you, Christian? You say, well, I go to church and I pray and I have the Bible. What do they think of you? And then, you know, he, he mentions the whole idolatry thing. He says, are there things that you really, it comes out clearly that you, you're worshiping other things? You're, you're, um, you're stealing, you're committing adultery, uh, you're, you say you abhor idols, but they see how you worship the ball game. And how you worship your sport. And how you worship your hobbies. And how you worship your house. And how you worship your family. They see what you pour yourself into. And they hear you when you say, when you're out with them late at night at a concert or something. They say, oh, you going to church tomorrow, Christian? Well, I don't know. I might be kind of tired. Oh. And they say, hypocrite. Obviously, you don't understand the idols you've got. They call us out on it. It's, it's different if I call you out on it, if we call one another out on it. But when a non-Christian calls us out on it, and they're right. Now, many times a non-Christian judges us wrongly. I get that. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about a non-Christian calling us out, and they're right. We have been telling them, we don't steal. They see we do. 
We have been telling them we're against adultery. They see we're not. We have been telling them we wouldn't be idolatrous. They see we are. And they, under their breath, or as they go back to their home, say, Christian, yeah, right. And God says, so they blaspheme me as one who has not really changed you? The problem is not that I haven't changed you. The problem is you're relying on your own religious behavior. And it becomes clear that what you're teaching others is that you're teaching them a religious behavior that you engage in as what's really saving you and what's really changing you when that religious behavior is not saving you and it's not changing you. Obviously, even the non-Christian can see it. And so we've become guilty of, of worshiping and exalting something that we really didn't intend. And nevertheless, it has happened. And what have we done with sin? You see, moralism, Michael pointed it out, that the idolatry that's being defined here is the idolatry of moralism. There's no greater idolatry, I don't think, than religious moralism. There's nothing perhaps worshipped more than religious moralism as an idol. And what is moralism? Moralism is, 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 is saying this is how we behave. This, these are the behavioral principles and the behavioral lifestyle of a believer. And we begin worshiping those morals. Moralism doesn't deal with sin. Moralism hides sin. It covers over sin. It says, I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. Let me tell you why I'm a good person. Because I do these things. It's just covering sin. It doesn't crush sin. It doesn't cure sin. It doesn't, it's not a repentance from sin. It's, it's, and the non-believer says, well, all you did is exchange behaviors. You didn't do anything with sin. You just exchanged one sin for another sin. And this other sin is called moralism. It's called the idolatry of moralism. And of what value is it if all you've done is exchange one and God's name is being blasphemed? Well, he gets into the whole uh, no value thing and, and, and diag- diagnosis of it, verse 25. Indeed, he says, let's talk about the value. For indeed, circumcision is a value if you practice the law. But if you're a transgressor of the law, and you, you know, obviously you are, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. He says, what value is it? You had this religious practice, and that was a big practice to the Jew, circumcision. Oh, so you're special. And they would say, yeah, we're special. Prove it. We have the mark of God upon our bodies. We are the circumcised people of God. They saw that as extremely valuable. And God says, but it's not changing you. It's, it's, it just seems to be an outward sign. And he goes on, verse 26, if, if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So isn't it better to, to truly be obedient, consistently obedient, without the sign of circumcision, than it is to have the sign, the mark, and yet be a hypocrite? And not have the consistency of obedience and worship of God. 
He says, where, where is the value? And he goes on, verse 27, And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he, will he not judge you who, through, who though have, having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? Who's going to judge who? He says, won't the other be the righteous and you be the unrighteous? Verse 28. And then let's talk about Jew. You think it's pretty significant that you can call yourself a Jew. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And is praise is not from men, but from God. Uh, do we trust our outer behavior? Do we trust that we dress the, with the right clothes, we sing the right songs, we have the right Bible apps. Um, do we trust that uh, we look the right way, we're cool, we're attractive? Do we trust those things? Are those the things we praise? Or do we praise the inward transformation of the heart? He says, you're not a Jew, really, are you? You're not really God's people if it's not about an inward transformation of the heart. If it's just about an outward mark, what value is that? And as we think about our, our lifestyle, you think about how we really do sometimes worship the outer, the, the ritual, the formal, the religious. What he's saying here, it would be far better to be a believer who's not baptized than to be an unbeliever who is baptized. Right? It's far better to be a believer without baptism than it would be to be baptized but not be a believer. It's far better to be a believer who's not cool and not athletic than it is to be an unbeliever who is cool and is athletic. It's far better to be a believer who's poor than it is to be an unbeliever who's wealthy. It's far better to have this internal transformation of the heart, to be genuinely of God by the heart, by the Spirit you're transformed than it is to be outwardly cool and wealthy and attractive and everybody praises you and yet you're going to hell. What do you worship, people? Do you worship this outward? And you tell your kids when you instruct them, you who are instructors of the law. Do you only praise them when they make the home run? Do you only praise them when they win the race? Do you only praise them? So I really would praise you. It really would make me happy if you would go to church with me. If you would give to the church, you're a wealthy person. It would make me happy if you would do that. And you praise people for all of these outward things. Or do they see you, the time you really praise them, what you really worship, what really makes me proud is that you are transformed from the inside out. Your heart is engrossed. It is in, passionate about Jesus. Your life is truly changed. Is that what we praise? 
They're both worship. One's hypocritical and one's genuine. And it's so easy for us to begin to worship our idols. And we lift them up. And our kids grow up thinking what would really make mommy happy and what would really make dad happy is that I just got a good job. And if I just could dress like they dress or I just listened to the music they listened to or I just went to their album model and I just did some of their stuff. Instead of growing up hearing what really matters to me is your love for Jesus. That nothing matters more. Because you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. And I don't want you to fall into that trap. Just because you're in a Christian church, just because you bear the name Christian, evaluate and see what it is you truly worship. That's what this text is screaming. And then it ends, verse 29, and you receive not praise from men, but from God. Did you even know that was on the table? That you had an option to be praised from men or to be praised from God. Wow. Who would pick the praise of men over the praise of God? I didn't even know that was on the table. That somehow it was possible to go through this life and God say, well done, good and faithful sir. I am proud of you. I I praise and adore you. Really? God would do that? I mean, I've been living for the praise of people. And people seem to praise me when I look good and when I make the right money and when I win the, the event. I get the praise of people. And I like the praise of people. I didn't even know it was possible to get the praise of God. Wow. That's a game changer for me. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Zephaniah, one of the final prophets of the Old Testament. Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 17. says, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. There's our daughters of Zion, okay? Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Why should they shout? Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Because the Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And you will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Don't be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. Because the Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior. And he, here's the praise, he will exult over you with joy. And he will be quiet in his love. And he will rejoice over you 
with shouts of joy. Why? Because Jesus shows up. Christ is God with us. God is in your midst. And God has removed the judgment against you. Christ has redeemed you. Christ has, has transferred you from darkness to light. Christ has transferred you from Satan's kingdom to his kingdom. Christ has paid for your sins. Christ has washed you as white as snow. Christ has exalted you to be one of his Christ has showed up. And it's talked about when God sees Christ show up. Christ redeem his people. I think it's God the Father. He gets excited. And the Hebrew there, God, he exalts over you. It's literally God begins to spin with joy. He is so excited. Do you ever get excited about your kids? Do you ever, are you ever proud of what your kids do? Do you think God, our Father, ever gets excited over his kids? Does he ever get proud of his kids? And here we say, instead of the praise of men, think about the praise of God. When God looks down upon his church, he's not interested in seeing outward transformation. You keeping the rules, you doing stuff that men praise you for. God is interested in seeing that Jesus has showed up and Jesus has redeemed you and your heart has been transformed and day by day it's being conformed and you're starting to look more and more like Jesus from the inside out and God begins to say, yes, yes, that's what I want. God begins to praise his people because of the work of Jesus in our lives. Hallelujah. That's exciting. But it only happens when we quit worshiping the outer idols and begin to see that the only thing that really matters is that internal transformation of heart only the Spirit can accomplish. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, is a quick summary of the Holy Spirit's work accomplishing what I'm talking about. Titus 3, verse 5 says, let me read verse 4. But the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. I just can't skip over that verse. When God shows up, when the kindness of God our Savior appears and appears in Christ, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. God gets excited when the Holy Spirit invades our lives inwardly. As Romans 3 verse 29 is talking about, you're, you're changed by the Spirit. And God begins to praise you. He's praising you because your heart is changed. The Spirit has come in and regenerated and rejuvenated and is beginning to form you after the image of Christ. And that's a glorious thing. What's God saying to you? Where's your worship? Where's your praise? What would your kids say? What would the people in your neighborhood say? Do they see genuine Life transformation by Christ? Or do they see religion? 
And are they tired of seeing religion? Are they blasphemers of God because of our religion? Are they directed to God because they see a transformation that could only occur if Christ showed up? Is Christ really in you? Or are you just in Christ? Doing your own thing. Is Christ really in you? Is he changing you and transforming you? Don't be fooled. Eternal destinies are at stake. Let's pray. Father, we have faced a text that we would ignore. We have faced an idol that we tend to push aside. We're so deceived many times in thinking that we're on track when we're off track. Father, help us not to be deceived by the evil one. Let us flee temptation to get caught up in the praise of men. And let us get back to the value of being praised from God. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the way we have encouraged blasphemy. People to speak wrongly of God and his people. Father, forgive us for the times we have valued our own selves and our own lifestyle way too highly. Let us value Christ more. May he be our all in all, our supremacy. May he be what our hearts are fixated upon. May we truly see Jesus as we have sung. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you and worship you and value you and teach you. Keep us from idols. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.